Thin Line Believers is a Christ-based outreach for the men and women who walk the thin line between good and evil, order and chaos. Our motto is, our service for His glory. To the police officers, veterans, firefighters, corrections, paramedics, dispatchers, and whoever else may join us, we are so glad you're here. All right, we're on. Welcome to Thin Line Believers again. You got Adam this week. Uh, Steve's out with some personal stuff going on. But today I invited John Phelan on the show. John's a, a Bible teacher. He's a, a pastor here at West Salem Foursquare Church. Um, I've been going to church here, I think, oh boy, what's it been? Five years now. And uh, and I we've yet to have you on the show. Um, I'm glad you made yourself available this afternoon and I really appreciate it. Yeah. So welcome, John. Thank you. Um, I emailed you this week and I know I I kind of asked you if you'd be interested in the topic of grace. Yeah. And uh, pun intended, you were gracious enough to <laughs> to join us for that topic. Um, I thought I'd kind of explain my reason that I wanted to discuss this topic is because, you know, I'm a, I'm a type A personality. Same. Many people in law enforcement are. And as you know, this, this podcast is for first responders mainly, but, you know, for any believer really, mm-hmm. and non-believer for that matter. But a lot of us are type A, like myself. And I think uh, grace is important to all of us, but to me particularly because before I started going to church here, and it's all about the same timing, uh, being a type A, you know, I've, I was raised in the church. I knew of the Bible. I didn't, you know, read it myself as often mm-hmm. as I should. I didn't have the relationship right. with God. And uh, being a police officer, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're trained. This is how you take care of it yourself. And if you can't take care of it yourself, if you fake it till you make it, mm-hmm. and you go home alive, you know, if, if covers a long ways out, which oftentimes it is for state troopers, that's just how it is. You got to know how to get through it yourself. And so for me, I kind of put that mindset into life in general. And, you right. know, I'm going to get this done myself. And then uh, 2014, my wife diagnosed with cancer. And so all of a sudden, here's a problem I can't take care of myself. Yeah. And yeah. then what else? What else in this life? is out of my hands and in whose hands is it right and so that's when uh you know a friend of mine invited me to church here and and kind of got me back into the word um and it really brought me to um not just a knowledge but a you know a ownership of this is grace right and so i want that for our listeners you know yeah. I mean, this is huge and so um you know with that i'm done talk about myself today i just you know um yeah tell me about yourself john what's what's up well thanks adam and, and steve as well I, I i like you guys both and i'm really proud of what you're doing and i was listening to some of your past podcasts and was really impressed with i think think a couple things that impressed me one was vulnerability um it's rare to find guys that are vulnerable 
it's rarer to find guys as first responders in the police force or in any kind of helps agency to be vulnerable. We tend to put a pretty, and I, I as a pastor, will do the same thing. Mm -hmm. you, put a, you put a veneer over, you have to deal with things, you have to move on, you can't dwell in it a lot of times. And so I, I appreciate your vulnerability. And, um, and then I also think it's very informative and it's helpful. I think podcasts ought to be helpful and otherwise it's just white noise and we have a lot of white noise out there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. So good job, good job. Um, a little bit about myself, I, um, and this will kind of front load into this idea. It really is a great idea called grace. And um, I, uh, I've been a pastor for about 25 plus years and um, so it's, I, I work for God, basically. Um, I tell people I get paid to be good the rest of you are just good for nothing, you know? <laughs> and so it's really interesting when you throw a paycheck into a calling and um, and you do something because you feel like you have to. And uh, and there's many times I've looked at life and thought, I wouldn't know what else to do with my life or career. I, I, I've done this now since I was 18. I started actually speaking and teaching the Bible when I was more like 16, but began to professionally do this as a youth pastor and then a senior pastor when I was 18 years old. So I'm 47 right now. Uh, I've been married for probably about 27 years. Um, I, I feel bad that I'm floundering on that number, but hey, listen, if, if there's guys listening to this, you understand. I don't know. I just feel bad. I have a hard time remembering exact years, but 27, how, 28 years. How old am I now? Yeah, Wait, how what? old? Yeah. Um, so, and I've got, uh, my wife and I, Denise, have four children. So all of them are pretty much grown. We've got like a 25-year-old, a 23-year-old, a 21-year-old. And then our youngest is 17. Um, almost all of our kids, minus the youngest one, are all in ministry of some capacity. Like they all serve the Lord somewhere in professional ministry and or lay ministry. If I can jump in for a second. Yeah. That's been on my mind a lot lately. Is Why? You have four kids and they're all good kids. We've been really blessed. And I've been I've been reading your book online and, and huh. uh, you know, trying to prepare myself for when my kids are the age right. to be ready for that you know, what you're talking about in your book. And, and so anyway, good it's, job. Good it's a, job. It's an act of God and my wife. I mean, honestly, and I don't mean that to be self-deprecating, like, like, uh, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. It took intentional work. And, I, and I, you, you referred to this little book. It's a free little book. I wrote mm -hmm. it years ago. I need to rewrite it because I was young and I didn't really know what I was saying, but um, the guts are there. Like the essence of be having intentional impressions upon our kids and I kind of use the idea of Deuteronomy 6 about um, to um, talk about these things when you lie down, when you walk, um, mm -hmm. when you rise up, uh, to to mark it upon your hands and upon your forehead and upon your doors and upon your gates. That we have yeah. intentional points of reminding ourselves who God is and who we are in God. And so I've just done this thing with my kids all my life of these intentional impressions. With my boys, I call mandates. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I need to revise that book a little bit now that my kids are older, but the essence is there to be really intentional. And that's what we, Denise and I have done that. We've been as intentional as possible and made a lot of mistakes. I'm a pretty broken guy. I've blown it a lot. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to just be self-deprecating. I'm saying I really have done some stupid things in my younger years that I don't um, appreciate about myself. But there comes the redemptive grace of the Lord as part of my narrative. If I were to go back further, 
when I was younger, I wanted to do one of two things with my life. I either wanted to be a farmer, because I saw that in all my grandpas and grandmas and aunts and uncles in mm-hmm. growing up in Wisconsin, a farmer or a priest. I grew up in a Catholic school, Catholic family. I went to parochial school. I was an altar boy. Um, and all I saw was a priest, and I thought, I want to do that with my life until I found out that celibacy was part of the deal. And yeah. I'm like, no way. I liked girls too much. And, oh, and uh, so I, did, I wanted, you know, I wanted to have sex, you know, I wanted to be a, yeah. a, a young adult that had a family. And so I said, no, no, I don't want to be a priest. I realized there was no money in farming because I was watching my, all my family members go under. Oh, yeah. And, and then that's around that time is when I met Jesus and, and my family became born again. I became born again. And then we became Christians, followers of Jesus. And we found a little small church, not a Catholic church, but a, a, a Protestant church. And my life just started moving forward. Well, I ended up going off to Bible college. I go off to Bible college when I was 18 years old. Um, my first ministry position was two weeks after being in Bible college. I said yes to be a youth pastor. And then from that point forward, from like 18 years old on, I've been in some kind of professional ministry. Now, I say that because then you learn how to perform pretty quick. You learn how to do the act of religious goods and services and that's a negative thing, by the way, in case you don't catch my cynicism. Mm-hmm. It's like sometimes in local churches, you can learn just how to do stuff and you disconnect from God. And I was doing that oh, in my late 20s up to about the age of 30. I was preaching the Bible, but wasn't reading it. I was helping people in their marriages, but mine was falling apart. I was speaking at camps and conferences and retreats and, and all kinds of stuff, conventions, and I was totally hollow inside, empty. And my marriage went through a huge blow up. I almost lost my marriage. Um, God restored that and brought us back t- together. It was not, uh, it, We didn't divorce or separate, but it was just, we had to work through a lot of crud. And I see the redemptive grace of God. And fast forward further and get into my early 40s and just kind of have an emotional meltdown for lack of a better word i just i just was pushing into my mid 40s now i'm 47 heading towards 50 thinking is this the rest of my life i i I don't know if this is what i want to do with the rest of my life is i was starting to hit an emotional wall and i can remember moments of of really crying out to god thinking i don't know if i want to serve you anymore i don't know if this is what this is all cracked up to be i tell you all that not again to just try to be falsely humble, but to say when we talk about this topic of grace, this thing has really hit the road, as in it's the rubber meeting the road. Mm-hmm. I don't just talk about grace intellectually, and that's the kickers. We can all give intellectual assent to grace. We can say, yeah, yeah, hey, grace to you, and oh, I got grace for that, and if someone makes a mistake, no, no, hey, 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 there's grace. Don't worry about it. But it isn't until we really hit the skids and go, I don't know what else to do but fall onto the grace of God till it really means something to us, and then we're able to minister to others out of that grace. Well, I like something you said there, too, because you said that... Uh... You know, you basically told God, I don't know if I want to serve you. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a key point there that um, 
we need to be honest with God. Yeah. Like brutally, deeply, completely honest with God because that's how we grow. He's big enough to handle it too, by the way. I mean, our honesty doesn't take him by surprise. He doesn't look at us and go, oh, you've offended me by talking that way. Just read the Psalms. Read David. Read how he cries out to God. I mean, he he says some pretty accusatory things to God, to his face in prayer and worship that a lot of us don't know how to articulate because we think he's going to be mad at us. He's not mad at us. And that's where grace comes in too is I had to, I had to walk through a lot of my early upbringing and I'm deeply respectful and honoring of my um, upbringing in Catholicism. Um, I'm very honoring of that. But I had to walk through some of that because I was swimming in guilt and condemnation about everything. And it's been said before that guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, it's just, it doesn't stop. And, and that we have to work through that condemnation to get to a place of healing and hope so that we can extend it to other people. Otherwise, in our relationships, we'll just keep extending condemnation. If we, that's all we know, we're going to extend what we know. So all my years of that upbringing, as honoring as I am towards it, I realized it was deficient in many ways and it had ill-formed me. So when I hit a real dark place uh, emotionally and in my marriage, all I knew to do was to just wallow in condemnation. That's all I knew to do. So I became a worm. I, everything was, I'm rotten. I can't do anything. And and this is where I had some godly people begin to change my thinking. Like they, I needed to get interrupted. I needed someone to cut in and go, stop talking that way. And when I'm thinking about like your listeners and thinking about individuals that are dealing with things and always facing crisis and trauma, that was the formation of my early years in ministry. It was, it was one difficult situation after another, um, not just as a pastor, but at the time as a chaplain for the fire department, Mm -hmm. um, walking in on things, um, having to be a first responder in a home with a dead body in another room, having to comfort someone after a suicide, um, these kind of things. And you just set your own emotions aside and keep pressing through because there's work to be done. And it wasn't until I couldn't do any more work. I couldn't perform anymore. Uh, the things I said weren't really effective. Um, my walk with Jesus felt really deficient that I just crumbled and I crumbled into myself. I'd like to say I was really super spiritual and oh, I just fell on Jesus and he, no, I just fell apart. And that's where I was grateful to have some godly people, some good counseling, a wife that was really compassionate, and ultimately I had to rebuild my own spiritual framework because my spiritual framework had been built upon performance ever since I was young. You're an altar boy, you ring that bell at this certain time, you do this for the priest, you go to catechism, you do all really, really wonderful things that formed me and shaped me, but ultimately couldn't sustain me because I had left the grace of Jesus asunder. I pushed it to the side. And I just thought, no, I can just ramp up and keep going and just get the job done. Early on in ministry, our church was exploding, and in, in different from the church I'm in right now. In the sense, I'm not, I was in—I've only been in really two churches 
early on a senior pastor at 27 years old. I was the youngest senior pastor in our entire denomination, our Foursquare um, movement. And it was exploding. And it got away from me because my character hadn't been developed fully and I was just living on my own performance. Well, when that crumbled, I, had, I didn't know what else to do. So I just sought out godly people, counsel, my wife, and just tried to scratch my way through this malaise of confusion. And God restored that. Fast forward to another 10 years later, some emotional things that just fell apart were on the death of my mom, um, struggles with my dad. I mean, just some different things like that. And just my kids were getting older, it was empty nesting and all kinds. Of, and I just was like, I need, I need another wave of your grace, God. I don't know what else to do this. I can't just ramp up and try to perform again. So here we are, type A people, Adam, mm-hmm. you and I. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Steve is in the same boat. Oh, yeah. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are type A guys that they, their entire life has been built upon what they do and how they perform. The grades they get, the marks they get, the promotions they get, and that's what I was experiencing in my life was everything was up and to the right, always growing, advancing, you know, a pastor at 20, senior pastor at 27 in a, in a in growing church, but a smaller one, and then asked to come here to Salem, Oregon at 37 years old to take a church that was double, if not triple the size of what I was previously in. Everything was about just up and to the right, up and to the right, up and to the right. And then you start realizing this performance isn't going to sustain me. Because when this all comes crumbling down, which it will, it always does, who do I fall on? Who do I lean on? Who's really got me? And this is where the subject you've asked me to talk about today is so real for me um, because grace was all I had. I actually changed a lot of my thinking about the Bible. I mean, the person of Jesus started looking different for me. Uh, I started recognizing that that word um, was found all throughout the scriptures. Like all Paul's writings, he begins almost every one of his letters with grace and peace to you in Christ Jesus. I never saw that before, that he was extending grace, extending peace. I always looked at the scriptures through, and here, okay, this is the paradigm I was seeing. I always looked through the scriptures through the lens or the paradigm of blessing, like Man, this is how God wants to bless you, and and um, you know, you're looking at. And I, I was never into the prosperity doctrine, if that's a, even you know a thing that people are familiar with. But I would always just read the Bible, like, oh man, this is what God wants to do for you and do for you. It was all about performance. And then I saw something different in my mid to late 30s, where I'm like, no, He's extending grace and peace, shalom, if you will. That pe- word peace means shalom, and and um. It means wholeness and completeness. And I, that was a whole different way to even read the Bible. And so now I read the Bible with less performance. I, I, I preach with less performance. I just, I, I'm much more content in who I am because I know His grace is sufficient uh, for me. So that's a, a great place to live. And I think about first responders and those that are constantly doing and having to perform I can't think of anything better than to be able to to lay their head on their pillow at night and just know that it's the grace of Jesus Christ that covers their successes and their failures. Both. You can't have it one way. Mm-hmm. You have to take both. So 
If His grace covers our failures, it also covers our successes. And so the great things that happen from us, it's the grace of God. The bad things that happen from us, no, it's His grace. His grace is sufficient. You don't have to try to put on an act or um, muster up some kind of strong man look. We can just trust that Jesus' grace is sufficient. So that's kind of where I've been living, literally living in for the last season of my life. Nice. It's way, way more free. It's way better than the other way to live. Yeah. Yeah, legalism can be pretty heavy. But um, it's not supposed to be that way. So, I'd like to segue into kind of, you know, what is grace? And I yeah. like, I like, um, and I know that you've kind of listened to and read some of John Corson's stuff too. And yeah. I like one of his acronyms. Uh, he uses the word grace. Yeah. And you're going to know this. God's riches at Christ's expense. There you go. Did I get it? You got it. Nailed it. Yeah. God's yeah. riches. God's riches at Christ's expense. And I'm not the smartest guy, so acronyms, I need acronyms to remember. It's totally things, helpful. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, tell me about grace. Well, okay, I mean, a lot of smarter people than myself have tried, like John Corson and others, have, you know, have given great definitions for grace. I don't, I don't know any necessarily off of the top of my head other than I'm remembering of people that have talked about grace being unmerited favor. Um, mm-hmm. This um, unmerited, as in we did nothing for it. We can't... Um, okay, so that's one side of the coin. Okay, We didn't do anything for it. It's unmerited. It wouldn't be grace if we had to work for it. And Paul gets into this about grace versus works. And there's a lot of confusing things that Paul says about this. The Apostle Paul, mind you. So there's a lot of confusing things that leave us kind of scratching our head like, well, grace versus works. I mean, does that mean we don't do anything anymore? Do we become lazy? Um, and I don't think that's it. I, I, I kind of illustrate this way. I mentioned I have four kids. My four children, now I have two with a third grandbaby on the way too. So we have two grandbabies and one more on the way. So let me use the illustration of my grandbabies now because that's kind of once removed. These grandbabies have done nothing to come into this world. They did nothing. Mom and dad did everything, okay? If you know what I mean. (laughs) All right. They did the work. And it's good work if you can get it. Mm -hmm. I've always said that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So they did the work. uh, But once they're in the family, there's work to do. Okay, so there's this tension because... um, you know, we do nothing to become in, into the family, like my children, their children. It's, it's just an act of grace that they're here. But once you're part of the family, there's, I say, chores. So my wife and I, we would raise our children with in, inside of our little um, uh, kind of a closet in the kitchen where we keep the brooms and the trash and the recycling. On that door, on the back side of the door, we've got a chores list. And it's got every one of our children listed when they were younger. And it has all these chores they do. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Okay, it has break, break down by days. And we'd always have to remind them, hey, it's Tuesday. You know, Jordan, you've got trash. Josh, you've got dishwater, dot, uh, the dishwasher. Um, Anna, you've got vacuum, the living room. Isaac, he was the always the youngest. He had the smallest job. You got dust the dust right. the you know the more. countertops, <laughs> you know? So yeah, he's older now, but well, they always had chores. 
because they had things to do because they're part of the family. Grace says, you did nothing to get into this family. The works aspect is now that you're part of the family, there's something for you to do. But it doesn't change your position in the family. It doesn't bring you higher in the positioning. It doesn't make you lower. So when I get back to that initial definition that grace is the unmerited favor of God, we did nothing to deserve it. And I'll add one more layer. And this could be a, a, maybe a little doctrinally um, challenging for some people of different kind of belief structures. I don't, um, I don't want to dive too deep into this, but I would say it's the unmerited favor of God. We did nothing to deserve it and we could do nothing to lose it. That's the controversial statement. Now, I don't want to wrestle with anyone on that because some people hold different views about once saved, always saved, all that kind of stuff. But my point is, is I think grace is something that we both don't deserve and can't lose. Meaning, let's just say you ran out, Adam, and just did the most heinous act of in the world. Okay, if it, let's say it was against the law. Well, you'll pay a price according to the laws of the land. And you'll reap the effects of that sin, if it was sin, in your own body or your life or marriage, your standing in the community, all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't change your positioning in God. It doesn't, God doesn't look at you and go, well, well, you lost your little spot. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put someone else in that favored spot now. Sorry, Adam. No. And that's the hardest thing for us to understand is we feel like, We've just completely wrecked ourselves. It's done. We're gone. No, according to God, his grace is still real. And it's and matter of fact, we need it all the more then. So it's unmerited favor. We can't do anything to deserve it. And I don't think we can do anything to lose it. So for me, I think grace becomes the most secure thing ever. Um Philip Yancey, he's an author. I've got some of his books on my shelf. He says, grace is the last best word. The last best word. So many words. Let's see. Love. Who knows what that means anymore? Totally manipulated. Um, I mean, you can go on and on and on. We could just list words that have been co-opted, been ripped off. I think I agree with Philip Yancey when he says, it's the last best word. Like, it's pre- it's been preserved. For some reason, grace has just been held onto, and we get what it means. Like, if we say to someone, hey, grace to you, it still holds weight. Um, when we receive grace from someone, it means something. Um, U2, my favorite band in the world, wrote a song called Grace. It's still one of my most favorite songs. Um, I don't remember all the lines off the top of my head, but it, it it just talked about grace. It's the name for a girl, but it goes on and says, but it's more than that. It's it's a it's an idea that changed the world. Grace, a name for a girl, but an idea that changed the world. Bono, the lead singer of U2, would go on to say that grace is the most radical concept he could possibly conceive as an artist. He can't conceive anything more powerful than grace. And um, over the last 2,000 years, I don't think anything's been introduced into our society that has transformed more people than just receiving grace. Mm -hmm. So 
I don't know. I could define it all day, but ultimately you just have to experience it. And it's complete. I mean, Jesus said it is finished. It's yep. not like a Marvel movie where there's going to be another ending at the end of the <laughs> credits and the end of the, or Lord of the Rings where there's 12 endings. You know? Right. It's finished. Yeah, it's finished. That's the beauty of grace. Um, it is finished, and yet it seems like it's like a, a rock that you throw into a pond, and you just see the ripple effects. Like for you as a dad and me as a dad or a husband, it's like when you experience grace, it just ripples out, and you want to give it to others. What I think Jesus, well, I know Jesus said, what freely you've been given, now freely give. So freely we've been given grace. And I find it's interesting that the very people that seem to experience the gift of grace from some from the Lord become so quick to not extend it to other people. Um, parables have been told. Jesus tells a lot of parables like, hey, your debt's been reduced. Why is it that you're turning around to someone else and asking him for that little debt? Like that one parable about the guy who he owed millions to someone. And that someone said, hey, it's been taken care of. It's done. And that guy turned right around and went out to someone who owed him a couple bucks Mm -hmm. and demanded that he pay it. It's like, no, we've received such amazing grace. And now we turn around and and demand something of, of, uh, of, of, of payment from someone else. What? No, freely we've been given now freely give. So that's a great reminder for us that when Jesus has done a good work in us, let's be quick to give it away to someone else. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, if you're like me, I, I need some practical illustrations, you know, so we mm-hmm. talk about grace. So, for me, the most recent one in my head of maybe how to apply it is, um, so, one of the Samuels, I think, is, is where this comes from. Okay. When they bring the Ark of the Covenant yeah. into, or before Dagon. And Dagon, they come in the next day and he's on his face before the Ark of the Covenant, right? Right. And then they set him back up because, you know, they have to actually physically put their God back up. And then the next time, same thing, next day, except this time the head is broken off in the hands, uh-huh. right? So for me, the takeaway from that has always been if you want to defeat, you know, the sin nature, the, the Dagons in your life, Dagon it, <laughs> bring in the ark, right? Bring right. in the presence of God. The presence of God. Read the word, mm-hmm. you know, praise, man, praise yep. releases a lot. It and, does. And prayer. I mean, what do you think? Yeah. I, so everything's about the heart. I think you boil everything down. It's about the heart and nothing will tenderize the heart more than our posture before God. So in prayer, in worship, in the word, these have a way of softening us. Um, you and I, in the professions we're in, as well as the majority of your listeners, are going to battle cynicism more than probably anything else I can think of. Like, we battle cynicism. We see the brokenness of humanity up close all the time, and we can get really cynical and hard-hearted. And so it's important for us to be in the presence of God. It's important for us to be in worship and in word because he's tenderizing us, he's softening us. Um, I, I I have to battle that because I'm in a religious profession. Um, again, like I used the phrase earlier, like a, a almost a purveyor of religious goods and services. That's actually from um, uh, an author called Eugene Peterson. And 
you know, the idea is that you just get into this habit of just doing things and and certainly with first responders they can it's a it becomes a job a task you have to perform things and you forget that over time you can create this calloused heart that gets cynical towards brokenness and people and you start to see individuals that seem to give characteristics of and we're trained to kind of watch for these characteristics of things that look like they could be awry you know or it could be a, a criminal uh in the making or whatever but cynicism can take over so being in, pre- in the presence of god being in the ark near the ark as close as possible can topple those dagon points of mm-hmm. of um of cynicism um of what else i think it's toppled i i would say you know our own um our own prejudices get toppled you know we we again we can start to stereotype people or we can start kind of group them and we can, it, the presence of god breaks down some of those stereotypes and some of those prejudices and some of those cynicisms in our heart because ultimately we want to just be free and grace lets us be free and grace lets other people be free by the way okay i'll just say this because i was thinking about your audience when i'm talking about grace one misunderstanding that could happen with your audience um, with your listeners would be that they would think that grace then is this whole permissive thing that said let's anyway do whatever they want oh yeah like disregarding crime and punishment right? yeah yeah and that's not it yeah. romans gets in this paul says hey just because grace exists does that mean you can sin all the more and he actually responds he answers god his own forbid. question yeah he says god forbid <laughs> like let it not be so mm-hmm. so i don't think we need to dismiss one for the other this is the great tension that we hold on to it's like god we're going to extend grace but there's also going to be um truth mm-hmm. grace and truth jesus personified this better than anybody he brought grace along with truth and um another other um, passages would ta- speak of um truth in love mm-hmm. so you get truth and love truth with grace uh i don't know that i coined this but i'll just mention something i don't know i don't know who did who said it Otherwise, I, I would give them credit, but um, you know, if you have if you have truth without um, oh, let me think now how I can get this. I I, I got into this um, and I I think I've forgotten what I wanted to say on this, but let me see if I can remember it as I go. If you have grace without uh, truth, you've got um, kind of a um, a sloppy kind of um, you know, kind of slippery, uh, nothing with real concrete ability to to change a person's life. You're just you're just extending this liberalness to them. Almost but if, like if it feels good, do it. Yes, yeah. it's a, we could call it hypocrisy even. But if you've got um, truth without grace, you've got brutality. Mm-hmm. The idea would be that you want to have both of them together. So grace and truth, truth and grace. Um, put together, so you're not being brutal, but you're also not being loose and lax in morals either, where you're letting everybody do anything. That, I think, is the culture we're living in, by and large, is a lot of people, they want to have tons of grace for people without the truth, and we're seeing a society crumble because they don't have the truth of the scriptures and the truth of God. We can have both. I think we can do both. Yeah. Jesus did both. Absolutely.
Jesus did both. Well, I feel like that's rounds it rounds it up pretty well for today, at least. I mean, we could talk about grace for days. I mean, you could preach on it for months. It's an unexhaustible but, subject. Yeah, and it needs to be experienced. Yes. So take it beyond just talk, mm-hmm. and now ask the Lord. I think a great thing for your listeners to do next would be to say, Lord, how can I posture myself, position myself to be in a place to receive your grace, so not being closed off to it, and then not only to be a receiver, but a distributor. And I think once you get to that place, you kind of overcome something that I struggled with early on was uh, personal image. Yeah. Fearing the opinions of people more than God. So I think that's what we all need to get through. Oh, don't we? (laughs) Yeah. Well, do I commend you because you're you're asking some hard questions, but you're seeking out answers. And you so often I think we just ask the questions, but we don't say, "Lord, now give us the answers." And and I don't I don't know that in this 30 minutes or so we've exhausted all the answers, but we certainly know the person we can go to is is Christ, and that He has everything. He'll you know, um, His grace is sufficient for us. It's his grace and peace extended to us. And that's that's the person we've got to get to most. And for every one of your listeners, I would say, just run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. He has everything you need. And, and all grace is found embodied in that person. I like it. It's good. Well, thank you, John. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate you guys. Keep going. Well, uh, You're doing good work. Appreciate that. We are going to keep going. we got no plans to stop. So. <laughs> Excellent. So anyway, again, I just want to make mention that you know, if you're looking for a place for church and you live in the Salem area, this is a good home. This is a good home. West Salem Foursquare up on the hill here. Mm-hmm. It, it's a good place to uh, to call home. So if you're looking for a place, check it out. And uh, thanks again, John, for your time. We're going to come back at you for, with some more hard, hard questions. Great. So Love to. Hope you're ready for that. Appreciate All it. Right.